Acts chapter 20 is our main verse. I'd love to greet you all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, Pella. How amen, Pella? I see the viewers are saying a better amen than you. I can hear them also way to TV and even on Facebook and on the website. And the other churches are saying more amen than you. Acts chapter 20, verse 32. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I've read from verse 18 of Acts 20, which is the verse we want to focus on. But when you read, going back, which we will do in a short while, Paul had made a visit to Ephesus and he was talking to the elders of the church in Ephesus, bidding them farewell. Paul knew that the end of his life was near. He knew very well that he wasn't going to see them again. As a result, as happens when people pass, the things that he said would be the most important. I don't know if you've ever been there at the passing of somebody. I've been several times there when people were kind of on the last lap, and even when they took their last breath, some of them. I remember when my mother passed on, we had the privilege as children to be with her. She'd called on us and wanted to talk to us, and at the point I spent quite a long time with her, talking to her. The things that people say at that time are things that are of great importance because they want you to remember them. And so Paul finds himself in this situation. And therefore, what he has said in this verse would be such an important thing for the elders in Ephesus and also for you and I today. In fact, in verse 18, when you go back, after Paul had called the elders, it reads, and I'm reading the NIV, when they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you? From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I have taught you publicly and I've taught you from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race 
and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. What a man. What a commitment to the cause. What a dedication that we see from this man. Verse 25, for I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying the biggest debt that we will have who are preachers is whether did we declare the full counsel of God as we preach to people. What did we use the pulpit for? Did we use it for personal gain? Did we use it to tell our own stories? Or did we use it to be the oracle of God and declare the message of God? Paul says, I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I have preached the full counsel of God. I've preached to you in season and out of season I've preached to you. I've preached to you when it was acceptable, when it wasn't acceptable. I've preached to you even when you didn't accept the message, I still preached to you. Paul says, I'm innocent. He says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and they will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. And after this emotional, heart-rending message, Paul makes the statement, and now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and you give you an inheritance among all of them which are sanctified. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. Amen. I think when I read the writings of Paul, I'm moved to the core. And as we've been learning the last few weeks, the conditions under which some of these letters were written, the utter commitment this man had to the cause of the gospel, and how he preached the gospel, even when things were difficult, even when things were hard. And I'm hoping we are all learning to serve God in spite of what we are going through. I hope we are learning that there is nothing that should stop us from our commitment to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is telling these elders that he is commending them to God. He starts by saying, and now brethren, he's saying to them, I'm about to leave you. You will not see me anymore. But as I leave, I am committing you to the faithful care of a God who is able to keep you. In spite of all the dangers that are awaiting you, even when your strength fails, when your strength withdraws, I want you to know that you have been committed as a church to the safekeeping and tender care of God. Because our God is a God who's able to keep us. He's able to keep us in all situations. At all times, God is able to keep us. Here you are, God has kept you. Here you are sitting, God has kept you. In spite of what we have been going through, God has kept us. Come on somebody, give the Lord a shout if you know that God has kept you. God has kept you. 
God has kept us, Masalana, when we were preaching to 50 people. God has kept us when we were preaching to 250 people. God has kept us when we were preaching to 500 people. And here we are today, God has kept us. God has kept us when the church was closed down and we preached from an office and the children couldn't come and the youth couldn't come. God has kept us. God has kept us even when our family members died. God has kept us. God has kept us even when our friends died. God has kept us. God has kept us even when we didn't know what to do. God has kept us. And Paul says, I commend you to God. Don't move from him. Don't turn from him. Don't run from him. Don't be discouraged in him. Don't go looking for other gods. Look for the only God who's the one who's able to keep you. I commend you to God. I commend you to God. Hallelujah. The word commends means to commit. To place in the hands of another. He says, I'm placing you under his protection. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Wow. He says his word is a gracious word. His word is a merciful word. His word is filled with promises. His word is supporting you. His word is full of consoling truths. Oh, how we have fed on God's word and we continue to feed on God's word in these difficult times. How God's word has been sweet in our mouth even in times of bitterness. The word has been sweet in our mouth. How God's word was able to give us strength in days when we had no strength. How God's word was able to give us answers in times when we put our hands on our head and we didn't know how to explain what was going on. It says, I commend you to God's word. The consoling truth. God's word that gives us direction. Those of us who need help. God's word that is able to comfort us. He says, I commend you to the word of his grace. And I like what he says. He says, which is able. It's a word that is able. And when you read it in the original, it says it is a word that has power. He says it's the word which is able to build you up. In other words, it's a word that is active. It's not a word that is passive. It is the word which is the power of God. I love what it says there in Hebrews 4.12. It says, for the word of God is quick. Somebody say quick. Say it again. Say it again. Oh, I can hear you. Say it again. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Paul says, I am committing you to this word which is able. I just heard something where one of our doctors here at church told me something during the break about that word quick. I didn't know. I didn't know. Because you see, the word of God is not passive. The word of God doesn't stand on one side and let you go through life by yourself. The word of God, when it comes into our life, it does something. I heard from our doctor that, you know, the, the, the gynecologists know this. When a woman is, is, is pregnant, from about four months, she starts discerning the movements of the baby in the womb. From about four months. Ladies, I, I, I have no, I can't give that testimony. I can't say amen. How? 
And, and the doctor tells me that at that state when the mother can discern the movement of the baby, they call it quickening. Quickening. Which, which, which is this, Barcelona? She's expectant. She's carrying something, somebody actually. She's carrying somebody or somebody's Kama twins. Or somebody's Kaitri. Or high six or whatever. She, she's carrying life which cannot be detected. Mara, it's there. As she walks around, this life is active, it's there, it's present, can't be detected. Mara, it's there. And at four months, it's quickened. This verse is telling us that this word, when it comes into your life, it lies there almost like it's dormant. It's there. Those who don't know, they think you are wasting time by believing God's word. They think you are wasting time by applying God's word. They don't understand that Peter says the word of God is like an incorruptible seed. When it's on the inside, it begins to grow on its own. And there comes a life when the quickening of the word. In fact, Barcelon, now that we're on this quickening stuff, this quickening stuff, See, the quickening of the word is when God takes the same word that you've eaten and makes it alive. This is important. This is exactly the prayer of Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 when he prays for the believers that they will get the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That word knowledge there, the word knowledge means revelation knowledge. Now, I know I've used this example before. Mara, let me use it for the purpose of this lesson. You see, knowledge is on different levels. There's head knowledge. Head knowledge is when you know theoretically what they're talking about. Okay? You tell a child, you know, we're coming from winter time now. You tell a child during, you know, these young ones, these toddlers, as they're walking around, they're going to the heater. You say, Nana, what's that? Choo-choo. So, nana wa oshem. And you can realize nana wa utwa mara Because we say chuchu. Chuchu is just words. It's knowledge. Mara is not revealed knowledge. It's knowledge, but it's knowledge that has not been experienced yet. Your namara ke knowledge. It's the word that's inside, but it has not been quickened yet. It's there. So one day, how to ilamo rumung nana wa chora e kichanse yaka ya kutswara mo kining baka na kutswara. So nana wa ya watswara uto uluko kichini nana re. Come runner nana nana kubleleti kichuchu. So now nana knows. How Choo Choo feels like. Nana has experienced Choo Choo. Now you understand why that? So it's, it's, it's knowledge that has been experienced. Iki revelation. Nana How do Choo Choo understand? So one day here you are, you see Nana running over to your, to your very, very, very expensive 
crockery in the corner there. And then Nana Wamata is going to get, and you, you, you realize Nana is too far for me to do anything. Say, Nana, Nana, Nana just looks at you and walks. And then you think, well, Nana, choo choo. Then Nana, I am, because. Even if the, the, the crockery is not a heater, how choo-choo, it registers the experience of choo-choo and nana stops. That's what God wants. When the Bible talks about anointing, God doesn't just want you to have it in here. God wants you to experience the anointing. Paul says, I commend you to God's word. I commend you to the word that will not just be in your head, but it will be in your experience. It will be in your everyday life. That's the word that I'm commending to you. The word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It implies here that the gospel is not a dead letter. It means the gospel has the power to accomplish a great work. Paul says, I'm not just commending you to anything. I'm commending you to this gospel. I'm commending you to this gospel. Note, which is not able only to build you up, but also to save you for salvation. In other words, this gospel is adapted to the conversion of a human soul. Only this gospel can solve the problem of humanity and can change the nature of a person. Even when the laws and prison might not change the nature of a person, this gospel is able to change the nature of a person. It is this gospel that takes a criminal and makes an evangelist out of them. It is this gospel that takes a young person and makes them to live a holy life. It is this gospel that takes a drug addict and makes them to be clean. It is this gospel that takes a broken family and brings it back together again. It is this gospel. It is this gospel. And this is the gospel Paul says, I'm commending you to. I commend you to it. No wonder he says in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God. It is the power of God. Unto salvation. Note, he didn't say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it has the power of God. It is the power of God. See, you've got to know the sentence construction. He doesn't say it has the power of God. He says it is the power of God. What it means is it doesn't just have the power, but it is the power. If you bump into the gospel, you have bumped into the power of God. He says it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the message of the cross, is foolishness to those who perish. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This word of God, therefore, is able to build you up. This word build up is used properly and it's applied to a house which is raised and is completed by hard work. This gospel is able to build you up. God builds your life bit by bit. God builds your life line upon line. God builds your life precept upon precept. Your change and your transformation is not overnight. But as you stay on the building process and you allow the word of God to build your life, it will be built. It means God's word is able to build you up. That word built up also means to establish 
It is God's word that will establish your path. That word means to make firm. It is God's word that will make you firm. That in times when things are blowing this way and things are blowing that way, because of the word of God in your life, you will remain strong. It is God's word that makes us permanent. That word means to make permanent. It means to instruct, to establish in doctrine and to establish in hope. You see, God's word is able to build us up. The idea here is that the word of God is able to confirm and establish you. And to these elders in Ephesus, he says, amidst the dangers that you're going to be exposed to, in spite of what's coming your way, even if you are moving into a period of turbulence, and I know it's not going to be easy for you, be assured of this, the word of God will keep you firm. The word of God will keep you strong. The word of God will help you navigate the storm. How many of you can say today, the word of God has helped me to navigate these storms. I'm here today because of the word of God. And it is that word that is able to build you up. And it says, and to give you an inheritance. This word is able to reveal to you what rightfully belongs to you. The blessings and the inheritance that have been conferred to you by God as God's adopted children. Can I hear an amen? amen. Which means this, Barcelona. The word of God, therefore, is a vital part of our spiritual growth. And we need to keep God's word as a center, as the center of everything that we do. Because the word of God is so important, I want to show you how Jesus Christ himself gave priority to the preaching of God's word in his ministry. Oftentimes when we talk about Jesus, we talk more about the miracles and the signs and the wonders he did, which is correct. But many people haven't noticed the order in which these things are recorded in the Bible. Look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, please, with me. Matthew 4, 23. It says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, read with me, teaching in the synagogues, yeah? Yes. All right, let's try that again, class. <laughs> let's try that again. Okay, let's do it again. It says, and Jesus, yes, 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 now I want you to note the sequence. Jesus went about all Galilee teaching, preaching, and healing. Say it with me. Teaching, all right, class, please say it again. Let's say it again. Again, as I go. Teaching, preaching, Look at your neighbor who's not saying anything. Let's say it again. What was Jesus doing? Say it again. Said what? Teaching, preaching, and healing. Now, that order and that sequence is important. See, when you read the Bible, one of the things I'll ask you to do is always make a note of certain things. See, if you read the Bible like, you know, you will never note 
some things that God wants to highlight. Because that same format appears again in chapter 9, verse 35. Note what it says. Chapter 9, verse 35. Let's read it again. It says, And Jesus, all the cities and villages, doing what? And, and, so Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching, preaching, say it again, teaching, say it again. Now, I wanted to show you something. This is very important. You know, oftentimes I've seen in the church because we pray for the sick, you know, that sometimes when people come to church because they need to be prayed for, which is correct and nothing wrong with it, that sometimes people want to wait and only come in at the time when we're praying for the sick. You know, right now because of registration and you having to be here early, at least most people are here. But when things are normal and, 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 and you know, people come in at any time, I have seen many, many times people just waiting because that's about time. altar call. Because you know it's you. And I've seen literally people walk in the church and it coincidentally it's exactly at that time when I've just called people to the front to pray for the sick and they just make a straight beeline from the back and come to the front. Because they just came to be prayed for. They don't want to be in the service. They don't want to listen to the preaching. Look at your neighbor and say, why are you quiet? They, want to, they don't want to listen to the healing. They don't want to listen to the teaching. All they want is the main thing. Right? I remember, I think we were at Homemakers, if, if I saw this guy, you know. You know, God had led me to pray for women who had women issues. And I'd call the women to come to the front to be prayed for. And here comes this guy. He wasn't there when I was calling the women. I'm being honest with you. Made a straight beeline. From the back, all the way to the front. He was the only guy there. And I wanted to know from him how Baba. No, no, no. Do you know what I'm praying for here, man? Look at the neighbor and say, I think that he's talking about somebody you know. Say it with me teaching, preaching, and healing. Say it again teaching, preaching, and healing. Why is the word of God so important? Why must it be the center? Note, Jesus taught in the synagogues. He preached to the multitudes. And in both instances, before he healed the sick, he would teach first or he would preach first. Why is the order so important? Because the word of God has life. The word of God is power. In fact, Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God is very important in our lives because it is the word of God that God uses to be able to do things in our lives. Let me skip and come to the one more point that I'm going to close with because our time is now gone. Now, God's word will sustain you and keep you from falling. God's word will sustain you and keep you from falling. Paul says, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Why? 
Why does he commit us to the word? Why does he leave us to the word? Why does he want us to have a relationship with the word? Because God's word is able to keep you from falling. Look at Matthew chapter 24, verse 35. Matthew 24, verse 35. It reads as follows. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. So if you live by God's word and you make God's word the center of your life, let me tell you what's going to happen. Things will come, things will go, man, you will remain standing. Hallelujah. Seasons will come, seasons will go, but you will remain standing. And you are not standing because of your own power. You are standing because you are standing on the firm foundation of the word of God. Look at Hebrews chapter 1, Barcelona. Hebrews chapter 1. I want to read it from verse 1. It says, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spoke unto our fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Verse 3, my main verse. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Now watch. And upholding all things by the word of his power. Somebody say upholding, upholding. All, things. all things. Say it again. Upholding, upholding. All, things all things by the word of his power. Do you realize this expression word of his power appears twice? Romans chapter 1. Here it says, it says, it doesn't say by the power of his word. It doesn't say he's upholding all things by the power of his word. If it said that, it would tell us that the word of God has power. But it says he upholds all things by the word of his power. Which means the word is the source of power. It doesn't just have power, it is the source of power. So we have been told here that God upholds all things. How many things? How many things? I can't hear you. How many things? How many things? What does all mean? Yeah? What does all mean? What does all mean? What does all mean? Everything, nothing left out. Watch. If that verse means what it says, then we must think about it. If God is upholding all things, by the word of his power, then when Paul says, I commend you to God and to his word, he is commending you to the word which is able to uphold all things. The word uphold means to balance, keep from falling. Right now, you are being upheld by the chair you are sitting on. That chair is upholding your weight. It's keeping you from falling. That chair keeps you steady. 
That chair keeps you stable. That chair gives you comfort. Paul says in the book of Hebrews, God upholds how many things? How many things? How many things? Which means the word of God is the instrument, it's the tool, it's the essence that God uses to keep everything balanced, everything supported, to make sure that everything doesn't fall off. Oh, think about it. Remember in eternity past, as God stepped over on the edge of nothingness, and God had a dream to create the world and create the universe. As God looked as far as his eye could see into space, into nothingness, and God wanted to create, he began to speak and said, let there be. And when he spoke, the planets and the galaxies were born, and the stars were flung into the air, and the sun was flung out, and the earth was flung out. And all of it is hanging out in the atmosphere, hanging on its own. It's not hanging on its own. It's been upheld and it's been kept from falling by the word of God. And even with that, we see how the sun is going around, how the earth is going around the sun. And how the moon is going around the earth. And how these nine planets are going around the sun. And there's no collision. And there's no problem. And there's no challenge. Millions of years have come and gone. The system keeps working all the time. It's working all the time. Why? Because God is keeping it from falling. God is keeping it in order. God is making it work every day. Listen to me. The same God who makes the galaxy work. is the same God who will make your life to work. He's the same God who will uphold your life. He will make your life work no matter what comes. And Paul says, I commend you to this God who is able to keep you from falling. We have gone through a difficult time but this God has upheld our lives. We have gone through times when we didn't understand what's going on but this God has upheld our lives. And Paul says, instead of looking somewhere else, look to God. And I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. And so when we move from God's word, when we start believing other things, when we start embracing other things, then we are moving away from something that's upholding our lives. But I was young when I, when I came into the gospel. I was 17 years old when I got born again. I was 18 years old when I got called into ministry. And I remember many people would look at me and say, When? last. Let me tell you, Barcelona. Hare last because of our strength. You are not hearing what I'm saying. I had a story as I close. I had a story years ago. I had a story years ago of people who were working on a construction. And unfortunately, the scaffolding collapsed. And because they were working on a nine-story building, ten-story building, many people fell to their death many years ago. And there was a guy who was up there next to a tree. He was so far out of sight. And as people looked up, they were wondering, what is it that's making him to stay up? 
Because there are other people who were able to hold on to that tree as they were falling. One by one, they kept on getting tired. And they would let go and fall to their death. And as this man was up there, people started gathering, waiting for the inevitable. Women were crying. Men were moaning. Children were screaming. An hour went by. Two hours went by. They had called in the fire ambulance, the fire, uh, the fire people, believe them. Fire brigade. They were still setting up because this man was too high. It's those years when technology wasn't what it was. Finally, the people from the fire brigade were able to reach this man and they brought him down. As he came down to the ground, they made him lie down. They checked him. There was nothing wrong with the brother. And to the shock and amazement of everybody, he stood up and walked home. For them to find out later, when they ask, how come? How were you able to hold on for so long? Yeah, I wasn't holding on. I had a rope tied around my waist before the accident. Then when the accident happened, I held on to the tree, but then I took this rope and tied it to the tree. I wasn't holding the tree, the tree was holding me. <laughs> That's why when others fell, I didn't fall. God wants to uphold you. God wants to uphold you. He, he, he doesn't want you in your own strength, Kulika. He, he doesn't want that. God says, cast your burdens on me. Let my word uphold you. Don't try to hold on. Let my word hold you up. Let my word uphold you in the name of Jesus. Give the Lord a hand as we stand on our feet. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up. That word that's able to keep you from falling. Where do you place your hope? So many people these days have moved away from God because they felt disappointed that I prayed this didn't happen. Some of you have walked away. Some of you have gotten discouraged. Some of you are searching for other means. But I want to remind you, I don't want to be guilty of your blood. I want to remind you of the gospel. I want to remind you of Jesus Christ who died for you who died on the cross for you to change you and make you a new person. I want to remind you of a God who's sent out his word and who upholds you by the word of his power. Bow your heads please and close your eyes. If you are here today and you say, you know what? If I was to tell the truth, I've walked away from God. I've walked away from God. I ended up in desperation going for other things and doing other things and turning my back. But this morning I realize God upholds me. 
Maybe you never ever gave your life to Christ. And as we've gone through this storm, you realize, you know what? My life has been standing on a foundation that is shifting. I want to have my life stand on a sure foundation, which is Christ. Please, Bishop, would you pray for me? I want to give my life to God. Heads bowed, eyes closed. You can put your hands down, everybody. But I want the people who are asking for this prayer. Say, please, Bishop, pray for me. I want to invite Christ in my life. Or I want to commit my life again to Jesus Christ. Would you raise your hand right where you are standing? Just raise it up. Let me see it. Then let me pray for you. Just raise it up. Raise it up. Thank you for those hands. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you so much. I want the ushers please to go stand next to those people, please. Maybe the counselors as well could also go and stand next to the people who have raised their hands. There's many of them. Ashas, please make sure you raise your hand so that the counselors can see you. I see the several people. I see that person at the back. Where's the ushers in this place here? There's someone right at the back there. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to lead you in a prayer as you have your heads bowed, your eyes closed. And thank you for your response. We don't need to be ashamed, people. Difficult times have a way of shaking us and moving us. Difficult times have a way. They have a way of moving us. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Those of you who've raised your hands, please join me in that prayer. And I'm going to ask the congregation to join us as well in that prayer. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I come to you just as I am. I invite Jesus Christ come into my heart to be the Savior and the Lord of my life. I believe on you, Jesus, that you died for me on the cross and today I receive you into my heart. I commit my life where I've walked away from you and I recommit myself to follow you in Jesus name let me pray for you Lord thank you for these precious people thank you for every one of them Jesus Jesus thank you for your love your mercy your care we commit them to you to you who is able to keep them from falling we commend them to you and to the word of your grace. We thank you for them as we give you praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, give the Lord a big hand. Remain standing. Can I ask the counselors please just to, the people who raise your hands, can you follow the counselors next to you? We want to talk to you in private, all right? We are doing this to try and follow the protocols, okay? Just follow the counselor who's next to you. Counselors, raise your hands. Please just follow them. We want to just chat with you for a short while, all right? Please, please, we ask you. Just make sure, ushers, please, that's the people. Give them a big hand, Bazalana. It took a lot of courage for these people to do this. Come on, Bazalana, give them a big hand. Give them a big hand.